Welcome to First Baptist Belton. By God's grace, we aim to be a gospel-centered people that know Jesus intimately, serve Jesus passionately, and share Jesus globally. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoy the following message. Good morning, church. My name's Randy Hughes. For those of you that don't know me, it's my joy to get to be able to to preach this morning. Wasn't that beautiful worshipful music this morning? Sure was to me. Today we observe the Lord's Supper at the close of this service, not as a tag on, but something we build to, and it is something significant in our life. And we have those events through the course of history, things that mold and shape us as individuals and as people, as God's children. This morning I shared a little differently than I will with you, but there were a number of people, believe it or not, in our early service that could raise their hands and indicate that they remember the day that Pearl Harbor was attacked and the United States was drawn into World War II. Then there were more people could raise their hands and remember the day that President Kennedy was assassinated and we came to the brink of nuclear war. And then I got a little more recent in time, and I said, how many here remember 9-11? And I'd like to indicate that now. How many remember 9-11? I look around and see who can and who can't. All right. That was a changing day for our country. It opened the door to the realization that terrorism could touch our lives. Now we have a lot of college students that were not even born at 9-11. All these events and other things like the Great Depression and different things affected the life of our country. What are the events most significant, really, in shaping your life and mine? Well, the most significant one for me was in 1958, in November, when I had just turned 10 years of age. That was the time that in Sunday morning worship service, God spoke to me, called me to Him, and I gave my life to Him and became a, a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ. That changed everything. That, that changed who I was as a teenager. It changed who I was as a person. But 11 years later, at Easter in 1969, God also had another event for me, personally. He had been calling me into Christian ministry. And finally, at that time, I made the decision to trust Him with my life and my future and what He wanted, not what I wanted. That was a transforming day. Had I not done that, I would not be preaching this sermon today because this is a part of that calling. I want to ask you, what are the defining things of where you are right now? Could you say the most significant thing is personal commitment to Christ? Are you in the process of struggling with that issue or as a Christian, how to live, how to speak, what to do? You say, well, what does all this have to do with the Lord's Supper? I want to read you a verse before we get down to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4 is where my main passage will come from. But in 1 Corinthians 11, 27 and 28, 
the Apostle Paul wrote and gave us some instructions for getting ready to take the Lord's Supper. He said, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a person examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. That means we take a few moments and think about it before we do it. Look at where we are in our relationship with Jesus Christ. There's one thing that the Lord's Supper should never be allowed to happen to it, and that's for it to be just normal, just routine. Well, we do it four times a year as a tradition in the Baptist church. Oh, Lord's Supper Sunday? Okay, we get a little sip of juice, a little taste of a piece of bread that has no taste. Is that all it is? Well, I have a feeling and a deep belief that tonight that Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, it was very significant. Just like I shared some other significant things that happened in life. They were celebrating the Passover, Jesus and his apostles. Passover had been celebrated for generations concerning the freedom that God gave to his people when he delivered them from slavery in Egypt. And that blood of the innocent lamb was spread on the doorposts and the lintel of the door. And that indicated that these were believers in God and they were set free through that sacrifice. Well, the Lord's Supper was Jesus saying, on this night we're recreating that, only this is what that one looks forward to. Because that night when Jesus took the wine and took the bread and gave to them, he said, these represent my body. Because in you, in the dark of the night, that night, he would be arrested and falsely tried and beaten and whipped and crucified. He knew what was coming. So it was anything but a routine event for him that Passover. Now, I want it to be more than just routine for us too. I want us to recognize this morning, this is a great time for us to reflect on what Jesus Christ really means to us and what we're going to do about that and what we're going to be in the days ahead. Because I think, according to what the Scripture tells me, that we are to be reflections of His life in the world. Isn't that what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount? Didn't he say you're to be the light and the salt? That's us. We're to show other people the way to the truth. Why is that so important? Because I believe the world is watching us. They may not want to admit it, but those of us who claim Christianity, we're being watched. And I think they're watching with some some things in mind. I think they're saying when they're watching, show me your commitment and then maybe I will believe. Because if our commitment is half-hearted, if it's shallow, then they will see no value in it. I think they're saying, show me that Jesus is real to you, that you have a relationship with him, and then maybe I'll want one with him myself. That's our job as the children of God, is to help others find Jesus. And I think that when we do the Lord's Supper, it's the time that it reminds us, this is what he did for me. 
Now this is what he expects of me as well. Why am I saying these things on this particular day rather than a Thanksgiving sermon? The reason for that is we live in a culture that is angry. We live in a culture that's frustrated and it needs our witness. Our culture needs a transformation. Our culture needs an understanding that yes, you can be forgiven and those sins wiped away and you can start new. What's the byword for what's in our country? Cancel culture. How many of you know the meaning of that? What cancel culture means? It means basically if someone has ever messed up through word or deed or done anything that insults other people or mistreats other people, they are now canceled as having any value or use. Wow. That's pretty tough, isn't it? Do you want to be canceled because you've done some things wrong in the past? Maybe you were a racist person and you've learned better. Maybe you've mistreated people and have learned better. Why do I say this is an issue? Well, let's take the Apostle Peter. According to cancel culture, Peter would be rejected as the rock that Jesus called him. Because on the night that Jesus was betrayed by Judas, he was also denied by Peter. And how many times did Peter deny Jesus? Anybody know? Three. That's right. And what did he do at the third time? He cursed. I mean, Peter blew it. But what did Jesus do after the resurrection? He sat down with Peter and said, Peter, do you love me? And he repeated the question three times. And made Peter answer him three times. And he took him from a shallow love to a deeper love. And then he said, feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. In other words, you are not canceled. Isn't that good news? What about you? You are not canceled. God has something for you. Well, let's go on. What about Paul? The Apostle Paul. I mean, he caused people's death. He imprisoned people because they were Christians. God met him on the road, transformed his life, and he said to Paul, you're not canceled, but you're changed. You have a new purpose, a new direction, a new life, and he spent the rest of it doing it. Well, let's get a little closer to history, to us, okay? Not just biblical people. Do you enjoy and do you treasure along with me that song, Amazing Grace? Hasn't that been for many generations now? A very treasured song because it's the grace of God. You know who wrote Amazing Grace? John Newton. You know what John Newton was early in his life? Slave trader. Well, we've got to cancel him out. He did something really bad. Well, then we have to cancel his song. You want to do that? I don't think so. The man was transformed and spent the rest of his life trying to serve Jesus Christ. What I'm saying is the Lord's Supper says to me, I am not canceled. 
I have a future. And I have a hope. And I have a place in God's kingdom. And so do you. That's why it is not a routine thing. Now, we live in a time, certainly, so many people are saying, well, I just want to do what I want to do. You know, that's not, that's not new. <laughs> that's not new at all. The same thing, almost the same words were quoted throughout the scripture in different places. In the time of Moses, people were doing, it says, what was right in their own eyes in Deuteronomy 12.8. In the days of the judges, it's repeated twice. Everybody was doing what was right in their own eyes. In Proverbs, the time of Solomon, it says everybody was doing what was right in his own eyes. And who is it that listens to advice? But it says in Proverbs 21.2, the Lord, it says every person's way is right in his own eyes. But the Lord examines the hearts. God sees your heart today. He knows you. And He loves you. And He has a place for you in His kingdom. And He's given us the way to do it. He's given us transformation through His Word. As it says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is, is, is in Christ, he or she, that person is a new creature. The old things are passed away. Behold, new things have come. Hallelujah! There's newness. The Lord's Supper is not routine. The Christian life is not routine. Every day is special as one of God's children. And that's what we need to realize. It's not just one Thursday out of the year that we should be thankful. We should be thankful every moment of our lives for the transformation that God has brought to us. So I want to read a scripture passage to you out of Ephesians chapter 4. Make four quick points to it, and then let's, let's, let's celebrate the Lord's Supper in just a few moments. Ephesians 4, 29 to 32. Will you listen closely in your Bible as I read? I read out of the New American Standard Bible. That's just a favorite of mine. You read out of yours. Let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth. But if there is any good word for edification according to the need of the moment, say that so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. All bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and slander must be removed from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, compassionate, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. Very simple first point. Verse 29. I like to write something down that sticks in my mind. I hope it will stick in yours. You know what it is? Three words. Watch your mouth. Okay? Watch your tongue. Watch what you say. And be careful. Be careful in your language to others. Be careful in your language about others. I think even when we have to correct another person or we're not happy with them, our words should be filled with grace and with mercy and with restoration and edification. Always it should be there. We should speak and live our lives as lives of dedication that show the grace of God. 
He says, do not let any unwholesome word come out of your mouth. Boy, that's hard, isn't it? Have you ever said something and really wished you could bring it back? I have. Let me tell you, many times as a preacher, I've said a lot of words. And sometimes I've thought later, I sure, sure should not have said that. So what are they? Words that are unwholesome or discouraging and condemning, reflect anger and hostility. Those are words that friends should not say to one another. Husbands should not say to wives. Parents should not say to children. Children should not say to parents. And children should not say to brothers and sisters. Our people in church should not say to one another. You know, there are some words that are just better off left unsaid. Because later, if you think about it, you would think, I'm glad I didn't say anything then. That's what we're to do to reflect our Christianity. Where do those unwholesome words come from? Scripture says a darkened heart. Well, let's not have darkened hearts. Let's not have careless words. Let's not have four-letter words in our vocabulary that have become acceptable in culture. We're to be better than that and live by a higher standard. Because the more we expose ourselves to those things, the more we become like them. Any of you ever had blisters on your hands or your feet? I bet you have. And then you just kept going until they became calluses. Isn't that an interesting thing? The more you deal with it, the tougher it gets, and then those things don't hurt anymore. Well, that's the way we can get to life. We can, we can at first be hurt by things. And then we expose ourselves to more hurt and more hurt and more things that are inappropriate for us. And we get calloused over and we don't notice it anymore. I think the Lord's Supper is a call. Is a call to retenderize our hearts and to let God speak to us, not the world around us. What do we do today? And it's, it's in a sense new to me because I didn't, I didn't grow up with one of these. Okay? Not at all. I remember my very first one that was a cell phone. It was a, called a car phone. And it had this huge battery that went with it. And I thought, wouldn't it be nice if they could ever get them smaller? Well, they did. And here it is. Use it for everything. But can't we instantly respond to people using this? And if we hear something we don't like, we can get online, get on our, our phone and send out message to, to everybody in the world. It's so easy to... It's so easy to eviscerate other people now. And that's what happens instantly whenever we disagree with them. In print, in social media, and unfortunately, sometimes in the Christian community, in church. It's as if we're looking for a way to be offended. I wish we weren't that way. I wish we lived our lives building people up and restoring people more. So first thing, let's watch our mouths. And when I'm saying watch your mouth, I'm also saying watch what you text. That's the same thing. Second thing, the next verse, 30. He says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. What in the world does it mean to grieve the Holy Spirit? 
when you become a believer, a child of God, God's Holy Spirit enters your life to live there. He's with you. Guide and comfort and instructor. To grieve Him is to behave and speak in ways that are offensive to Him. Things that dishonor our Savior. Things that discourage and tear down our fellow believers. So where does that come from? Why do we do it and when do we do it? I think when we neglect our hearts. I think when we fall out of a habit of of prayer and talking to God and seeking His will. I think we do it honestly when we neglect God's Word, when the dust grows on our Bibles. We need to be digging into the Word of God and just reading it and letting it speak to our hearts. I think we, I think we do the same thing when our worship becomes inconsistent and other things become more important. I think it happens when we look and inspect others' lives more than how we inspect our own lives. There are things that cause those unwholesome things to come from us and all these detrimental things to be a part of our hearts. And that is what grieves God's Holy Spirit. That's what dims the light that we're to shine. It's kind of a collector's item today. But that's to have an oil or kerosene burning lamp at your house. One of those with the glass globe and you light the fire and it does. You know those have to be cleaned. After you've used them a few times, soot builds up inside. And that soot has to be cleaned or the light gets dimmer and dimmer and dimmer. The Lord's Supper is a time we look at our lives and we say, God, give me a good cleaning. Bring me back to where I need to be so that your light will shine brightly through me. I think that's what we need to be. I'll tell you what, if we'll do it, I didn't say this this morning, but God just gave me this thought. If you and I, there's enough of us here right now, if we'll start giving our lives a good cleaning between now and the 1st of January, when our new senior pastor assumes his duty, we'll make his life a lot better, won't we? Because we'll take care of a lot of stuff he may have to do from the very beginning. So let's do it now. Let's clean our lives and let that wonderful man come and have a church ready to serve God. So let's be careful with those things. Let's not say, well, I'm saved. I'm sealed in the Holy Spirit, so it really doesn't matter what I do. Uh, Those are not new arguments. Those have been around since the time of the Gnostics and the early church. He wants us serious about the Christian life. Our attitudes, our words, our actions do matter. Yes, I belong to Him forever. I'm in His hands. But I'm a work in progress. I'm the clay in His hands. I need to submit daily to the adjustments and corrections that he makes in my life. There's no place for self-satisfaction as a Christian. We need to move forward. But now I'm going to speak to you very honestly because I know this is a younger crowd. And I've discovered it's the truth. We have a ministry called Shepherd's Rest Ministries. Some of you know that, some of you don't. And we have two places for people to come that are in ministry and stay and rest and Let God speak to their hearts and get refreshed when they're working hard. 
Don't panic, okay? When they come to Shepherd's Rest, we have no Wi-Fi. Could you manage a day or two or three days without the Internet, without a working phone? Wow. We've had people come and say, well, the first day I was miserable. I couldn't get in touch with anybody. But then the quiet, in the silence and the removal from all those distractions, came the still, small, quiet voice of God that spoke to their hearts and brought refreshment. The Lord's Supper is a time we say, God, speak to my heart. Clean me up. Let me hear you fresh and new today. It's like a mini revival every time we do it. That will help us grow as believers, as God wants us to do. And so we become as forgiving as He is forgiving. And we rejoice that we belong to Him forever. So we need to do those things. And then a third thing we need to do in the passage, we have to make a choice, and this is verse 31, we need to lay aside the evil influences of society. We have to set aside bitterness. That's a long-standing resentment because you're harboring the hurts you've suffered in the past. We need to set aside wrath, which is rage. Rage is that thing that puts people's fists through the wall or the slap up the side of the head of someone else that irritated them. We have no place for rage in us. And anger. Anger, that deep, slow, abiding fuse that just burns and slowly eats you alive yourself. We need to put aside clamor, it says. Clamor is when you shout and fight. You know what clamor is? It's mob action. There's really no place among us for that kind of behavior. And slander is to say bad, wrong, evil things about other people or to other people. And that can include half-truths. And malice to act out of spite. To do things deliberately to harm another. He says there's no place like that in the Christian life. And when we come to the Lord's Supper, we can look at our life and say, God, have I become angry? Do you, does anybody else besides me see a lot of anger reported in the news? I do. There's a lot of hostility. It, it, it things set off real fast to do that. So instead of focusing there, though, let's do our last verse. Because I see the time we're getting to and we need to come to a close. Look again at verse 32. Here's what God wants. He says, be kind to one another, compassionate, forgiving each other just as God has forgiven you. Just as God has forgiven you. We need to speak and act in ways that please God. And those will only come from pure hearts. Hearts dedicated to Jesus Christ. It means kindness. Kindness is love in action. It's doing good deeds for other people for the right reasons, not so you can get something. You know, Christmas is coming. Don't give anybody a gift so you hope they'll give you one back. Maybe there's somebody you just need to give a gift to just to be kind. Or maybe there's someone right now you just need to speak a word of encouragement to. That's kindness. 
or notice someone. That's kindness. I guess I'll put it this way. I made these notes as I was preparing this message of sort of what I think it means. Kindness is instead of bitterness, we practice forgiveness. Instead of wrath, we have a calm demeanor. Instead of anger, we become peaceable. Instead of clamor, we're a calming voice. And instead of slander, we speak gentle truth. We just choose our words carefully. That's kindness. And compassion, it's much the same thing. It's more than feeling. It's an action. As Baptists, we have a beautiful example of that before us. It's called the, the Baptist men of Texas. When there's a disaster, a hurricane, or something else that happens, we have a bunch of people that get together in trucks, and they take off there, and they meet needs. They, they feed people. They provide laundry services for people for free. That's compassion. That's a part of who we're to be with other people. And the best way you can show compassion is the way Jesus did. He says we can forgive other people the way God has forgiven us. That's not a popular in our country today, but you and I can do it. So what can we do? What can we do? This is my conclusion. We can be gentle and hungry and first thirst for righteousness. As Jesus said, we should do in Matthew 5, 5 through 9. We can be a person who demonstrates the fruit of the Spirit, as it says in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. We can embrace our new life in Christ by being a person of righteousness and truth in every word we speak in the other part of Ephesians 4. We can demonstrate a life of walking in love with God, as it says in Ephesians 5.2. As a church, we can be persons of cooperation and love and humility, seeking what is best for others instead of ourselves, as it says in Philippians 2, 3, and 4. We can discipline our minds to focus on the good things, things that are true and honorable and right and pure and lovely, things of a good reputation and excellence and worthy of praise, as it says in Philippians 3, 8. We can do all of those things. And if we do those things, we position ourselves to be blessed by God and bless others. If we begin to focus on those things, then the Lord's Supper has meaning for us. It's not routine. So this morning, as we get ready, in just a few moments, I'm going to pray, and we're going to then have our invitation. I want that to be a time of reflection and of thanking God for our salvation, of giving Him our lives in a new sense, and if it's certain, if there's anyone here today who says, you know, I want the life you've been talking about. I haven't had that. That's an opportunity as well. But I want us to make it special and meaningful in every life. Will you bow with me as we pray? Our Heavenly Father, it's so good to be in your house. It's good to be here at Thanksgiving time. It's good to have the Lord's Supper. 
it's good to be reminded of how much you love us, and how much you gave up for us, and what your resurrection means. Our Father, I pray that everyone, including myself, that have heard these scriptures and words today, will decide that what we want is what you want for us. And we will always treasure what you've done for us in Jesus Christ. And we will reflect his love, his grace, and his mercy every day of our lives. And we will deeply appreciate what he's done for us. This is my prayer in Jesus' most holy name. Amen. Let's stand together and have a brief time of invitation. If you would like more information, please visit fbbelton.org. Or call our church office at 254-939-0705. We are located at 506 North Main Street. We hope to see you soon.